All right, good morning. Good morning. Great job, Steve, Jennifer, rest of the band. Especially love that last song, didn't you? The blessing, the blessing. Well, happy Independence Day weekend. Happy Independence Day weekend. May your drinks be ice cold and your grill be hot and full of all kinds of meat and veggies. This is my blessing, a Fourth of July blessing for you. Put on some steaks. If you can't afford the steaks, go with pork chops. If you can't afford the pork chops, uh, go with a hamburger. If you can't afford the hamburger, go with the hot dog. If you can't afford the hot dog, get a couple thick slices of bologna and throw it on there and uh, be proud. Let's thank God for the good old USA. Do you know why there are no good knock-knock jokes jokes for America? You know why there are no good knock-knock jokes for America? Because freedom rings. Yeah, freedom rings. You know what you get when you cross a patriot with a curly-headed dog? A Yankee poodle. Yankee poodle. Do you know why Paul Revere rode his horse from Boston to Lexington? Anybody? Because the horse was too heavy to carry. Okay, one more. What would you get if you crossed, Aaron, this one's for you. What would you get if you crossed George Washington with cattle feed? Oh, it's easy. The fodder of our country. The fodder of our country. Okay, that's enough because it's not Father's Day. That was a couple weeks ago. But we are going to look at a father today. We're going to look at a father today whose name was Abram. Abram's name meant exalted father. A little bit later, God changed Abram's name to what? Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And, um, you know, last week was supposed to be our final week in the, uh, this series, the themes of Genesis. But I listened to Philip online, and I said, no, that can't be the last week. I got to get in there and correct a few things and straighten a few stuff, a few things out. Not really. I think Philip did a great job, as always, did a great job. Uh, but we did, I did start thinking, you know, we need to end this series on an up note and not a down note. Because if you remember the end of last uh, week's message, the title of the theme was Judgment. And the end of it was how God was judging, once again, the nations because they had rebelled against him. We're starting very early in the book of, uh, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to see the cycle. You know, the Bible is one long story. It's one long story. And we're starting to see this this. Um, cycle of life, and then rebellion, and then judgment. Today's uh, theme is blessing. So we're going to end on an up note, and we're going to talk about blessing. And this is fitting because this is the story of Abraham. And we're going to see that Abraham received the blessing really for three reasons. We could talk about more, but for three reasons. Uh, First, because he believed God. I'm going to give you all three points up front here, right? He believed God. And secondly, he obeyed God. You know, it's one thing just to say you believe God. It's another thing 
to obey God and do what he says to do. And so he received the blessing because he believed God and he obeyed God, but he also received the blessing to be a blessing. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Genesis 11. That's where we left off last week. But that is the story, the start of the story of Abraham, Genesis chapter 11. Now, last week was the story of the Tower of Babel. I don't know how much you know about the Tower of Babel, but that's where the people got so uh, full of themselves that they tried to replace God and make their own religion. And they built this tower, which was um, kind of not a pyramid, but I think Philip showed you a picture last week, a ziggurat that was a place for the gods to come, for them to meet with the gods. And these were the precursors for what would later in the Bible be called the high places where Israel, where God's people would join with the Canaanites and Amorites and Perizzites and Jebusites and all those ites and worship. They would go there and worship, and it was like a multi-use, uh, multi-polytheistic, if you will, place to worship God, which, of course, God did not allow. God said, I will not. I'm a jealous God. I will not share my glory or my throne with anybody else. But that's kind of what Israel uh, was, were led into. They were led into this kind of worship, and it was by this high place. They built them on a high place, and oftentimes if they didn't have a high place, they would just build this tower, this ziggurat, and up on the top of it was a temple, and they would worship the gods there. So God frustrated their language, that was the judgment, and that's what you know, was designed to thwart the advance of evil. Remember, since Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, they, they opened the box of evil. And so now, Cain and Abel and all of us were born with a sin nature. We have the seeds of evil within us, the seeds of rebellion within us the nature for that. And that's why we can't live this life and please God without his help, without his spirit in us, because we have this in us because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. So we see this cycle, life, rebellion, judgment. So, you know, the Bible is one long story. The Bible is one long story, and that we've been looking at it. God's the creator of all life. He started with Adam and Eve. You remember how that went? They chose to rebel against God by eating of the fruit. God kicked them out, and now they had to work by the sweat of their brow, and life started over outside the garden. You remember we talked about those long-living, the antediluvians, the before-the-flood people. They lived a long time, and the longer they lived, the more evil advanced. It got so bad, you'll remember that uh, demonic forces, fallen angels were coming down, possessing the bodies of human men and mating with, you know, that demons, Satan possessed the body of a snake. These men were possessing, these fallen angels were possessing the bodies of men, and they had uh, offspring. God said, this is too much. You've crossed the line. This is far beyond uh, what I uh, ever imagined. The, uh, inc- the, every thought, every inclination of the thought of man's heart is evil. So he destroyed him with the flood. Noah became kind of a new Adam, and his family produced all the nations of the world. And as we saw last week, 
Many of them gathered in this plain called Shinar, and that's where they built this tower. And so God had to judge again. Now, this, what this is demonstrating for us is that we, we have, man is going to struggle his whole existence with having a right relationship, with staying in a right relationship with God. We can't do it on our own. We can't get there on our own. We need God to live in a way that pleases God. You understand? So if you know people out there saying, I'm just going to do this on my own, I'm going I'm to fight this addiction on my own, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix my marriage on my own, I'm going to get my life straightened out on my own, I'm going to beat this m- nasty habit on my own, I'm going to get better on my own. If you know people like that, just, just make sure you let them know that you can't do it on your own. Not only do you need the help of people around you, but we need the help of God, don't we? True uh, recovery and true uh, pleasing God comes from God's help. And thank God he offers that to us. So I heard Philip say last week that God has a soft spot in his heart for the crown of his creation. And he does. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to destroy man completely. And so he looks around, the Bible says in the New Testament that the eyes of the Lord roam around looking for the righteous. And so he found Noah. And then, uh, uh, you know, we, we give, we, we're given at the end of chapter 11 the line of Shem. This is one of Noah's son, sons. Shem, even though God lessened the days of man's life to 120 years, Shem and his, some of his descendants were given long lives. Some people say, well, God said in in Genesis 6, 120 years, but here you have in Genesis chapter 11, man still living to be 500 years old. Well, God did that by grace to allow them to produce a godly offspring. Shem is the name that we get the word Semitic, Semitic. So if you refer to the Jewish people, you could refer to them as Semitic. It comes from Shem. But also from Shem's line came the Arab people. So if you refer to a a Muslim as Semitic, that would be correct. Arab and Jews are Semitic people, but in our day today, we often just refer to the Jewish people as Semitic. So eventually, Shem's line gets down to a man named Terah, who became the father of Abraham. And I want to pick it up right there, Genesis 11, 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father, father of, still got fodder on my mind, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And by the way, if you're pregnant, these are great places to find names, huh? Get one. You don't have to buy that book that they're selling. Get one to hear. Uh, Now, Sarai, later her name was changed to Sarah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
So from right here in the Bible, the Bible is zeroing in on the story of Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. His father's people came from the li- a place called Ur. I want to show you this picture. This is where they're from. <clears throat> Got a little summertime cold going on here. So if you'll see here on the picture, uh, down near the Persian Gulf, there's a place called Ur up there. Okay? This is Ur. Maybe... You or some of your uh, family <clears throat> spent some time over in the Persian Gulf. I did. Anybody else spend a little time in the desert? Yeah. So right there, Ur, is where Abram was from. And you'll see up here where the Mediterranean Sea is, right, right along that sea, that's where Canaan is. That's where the land of promise, that be- later became Israel. That's the promised land right there. Uh, right on from about halfway up and down. Mesopotamia simply means the land between the rivers. And that's where uh, most Old Testament scholars believe the Garden of Eden is somewhere in here. Because if you'll remember when God is describing the garden, there are four rivers that go through here. The Tigris and the Euphrates are two of them. And so somewhere in this greater area was the Garden of Eden. Of course, God protected it, and it cannot be found by man since uh, God kicked man out of it. Now, you might imagine that the line of Shem, since Abram was in the line of Shem, you might would think that they would be worshipers of God, worshipers of the Creator God, but they weren't. The Bible tells us in Joshua 24, 2, that they uh, worshiped other gods. What happened there? There's hundreds and hundreds of years passing, and somewhere along the line, the worship of the one true God was lost. You know, it makes me think about what's going on in our day. I've always heard that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Listen to me, parents. All you have to do is let your kids off the hook. All you got to do is let them off the hook. Let them drift away from the church. And then they'll raise your grandkids outside of the church. They'll raise your grandkids without knowledge of the Bible. And even if there is some knowledge of the Bible, they'll miss all that that we do in the church. We, you and me. And, uh, And when you do that, there's another generation who they really don't know who God is or the great stories that we can read about and really why he came to the earth. And, and here's what happens. It's like, oh, no, they still know God. They still believe in God. Yeah, but the God they believe in is a God they have fashioned for themselves. Their God approves of all sorts of things. They can live just about any way they want to live because, yeah, they still believe in God. They're still a Christian, quote, unquote, but they're not living according to the Bible. And what we have going on here is true Christianity becoming extinct right here in 2022 in the United States of America. That's what's happening, and that's what happened to Abram. The true religion was lost to him. So it had to be reintroduced. You know, we're we're living in a a, a mission field right here. There are a lot of people who didn't grow up in church, and, uh, you know, parents like me and some of you let them off the hook. We didn't we didn't raise them in church, or when we did, we didn't stay after them once they became adults. Oh, no, they're making their own decisions now. But let me tell you something. If my daughter stopped going to church, I'd let them know about it, that dad's not happy about that. Find a church, get into it, get active, 
and do what you can to be a part of it. You with me? Any, am I out here by myself or is anybody with me? Okay, it's really weak this morning, so uh, I need some help today. I, I think we are in danger of Christianity becoming extinct in our time. Not just the belief of God, but the belief and practice of the one true God. Because we're letting our kids and grandkids off the hook. and We're not teaching them what they need to know. So Abraham, through his childhood and young adult life, served man-made gods because he didn't know the one true God, El Shaddai, the creator of all life. But all that changed one day when God revealed himself to Abraham. Some scholars believe that uh, because of what Stephen in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verse 2 says, that this revelation wasn't just a voice that Abram heard or some kind of a vision in the night. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. So most scholars believe that from that verse, Abraham saw God like Adam saw God and when he walked with him in the cool of the day. And so when this happened, Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I want you to realize today, 4,000 years after God said that to Abram, we are in the category of all families of the earth. Your story and my story only intersects with God's story through Abraham. Did you know that? That's the only way it intersects because we, we were talked about right here. You were talked about right here in Genesis chapter 12. All the families in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's your family and my family. Through Abraham. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, he said, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now I want you to remember that phrase is going to come up in a minute. He preached the gospel. Think about that. You ever think about that? God preached the gospel to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And down in verse 29, he said, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. When I was a kid, we used to sing this little camp song, Father Abraham. How many of you remember that song? Father Abraham. <clears throat> How many of you are really hoping I don't have you stand up and sing that song? Right, I won't, I won't. Because you got to stick your right hand in, or, you know, I'm just a hokey pokey or Father Abraham. So, God told Abram, he said, I need you to pack up your bags, get your wife, and I need you to move. I need you to move away from your family, away from these man-made gods, away from any corruption. I need you to get out on your own. You're man enough. Father, you're man enough to lead your family. You can do it. 2022, Father, you're man enough to lead your family. You got a Bible. You got it in a version you can understand. You can pray. You got a wife, if you do. You have a wife to help you. She's your helpmate. Together, you can lead your family. There's no excuse today 
for Christian families not to be walking in the word. We can do this. We can do this. Abram, I need you to go. I need you to go. And what did Abram say? <laughs> Where am I going? No, he didn't say that. What, what am I going to tell Sarai? She's going to ask, okay, where are we going? Why are we packing? No. So he was blessed. He received the blessing because he believed God. Think about this. You know, God shows up out of the blue. Abram didn't know him. He worshiped other gods, and maybe he had heard the stories. <clears throat> it had been hundreds and hundreds of years Sham lived to be 500 years old, hundreds and hundreds of years since he had probably heard of the stories of God talking to Noah, God talking to Enoch, God talking to Adam and others. Uh, Could God possibly be talking to me now? When God appeared to him, it was belief at first sight. I believe you. And then he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, I don't know how Abram would have processed this because we already read in Genesis 11 that Sarai was what? Barren. She couldn't have any children. So I don't know how Abram's thinking, okay, I guess you're going to bring me another wife. Uh, somehow this is going to happen. Not only that, the Bible says he was 75 years old. There aren't many 75-year-old men starting families. I guess it's possible, but we, we'll just leave that, all right? I'm sure he kept expecting, though, his wife's womb to be opened. And I don't know how he processed how God was going to make a nation out of him, but we do know that he struggled with it later in chapter 15. After these things, you know, some things happened in his life. But after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. In other words, one of my servants. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What an incredible thing to say to this man who was 75 years old and his wife was barren. But listen to what verse 6 says. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him as righteousness. Now this verse right here, verse 6, the New Testament writers pull this off the page of the Old Testament and put it into the New Testament Three times. Paul did it in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3. And James, the brother of Jesus, did it here in James 2.23 when he said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Now you and I know that Abraham and Sarah did have a child. They named the child Isaac. You remember? Before that, Abraham tried to preempt God's promise to him And he and Sarah both thought, we better come up with our plan. And remember, she gave him her handmaiden, Hagar, to lie with and have a child. And and she did have a child, and the child's name was Ishmael. And God said, "This, this is your doing. This isn't my doing. This is not the child of promise. 
You did this on your own. And, you know, anytime you try to outrun God or come up with your own plans when God has already given you a plan, you're disobeying God. And, and God said, this is not the child. And so he put that child and the mother out because he didn't want there to be any, any kind of cooperation or any kind of competition. Now, the Arab people come from Ishmael. But I want you to remember, Ishmael was not the child of promise. Contrary to what they will tell you, Ishmael was Abram's firstborn, but he was not the child of promise. This delegitimizes the entire Muslim faith from going back to the promise of God. So uh, Isaac was born. And I could spend time on that, but you remember Isaac, the angel came and said, you're going to have a child. And by this time, Abram was 100 years old and Sarah was 99. And so God, what was God doing there 25 years waiting? I think he was doing several things. Number one, he was waiting to see how Abram would follow him for those 25 years. He first made contact at 75, and now it's 100, and that's when Abram fathers Isaac. 25 years to see, are you going to believe me? Are you going to trust me? Are, are you, are you going to be on my side? Are you going to worship me? 25 years is long enough, and, uh, and, and that's what happened. And we know that uh, they laughed about that, and Isaac means laughter because Sarah was so old, but that's what happened. And from Isaac came a man named Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and from Israel came the 12 tribes of Israel and all the Jewish people. But imagine how hard it would have been for Abraham just to believe God. He was believing the impossible. Impossible for man, but not for God. You know, if only we would learn to trust and believe what God has already said. Much of your anxiety and your worry and your stress and your sleeplessness would really subside if we just believe what God says, just believe it. If God says it in his word, just believe it. Hold on to it. I love what Justice Clarence Thomas said last week. He said, right is still right, even if you're the only one standing for it. And God's word is always right. And you may be the only one believing it, but don't stop believing it. Abraham was considered righteous and blessed because he believed God, but also, as we know, what goes hand in hand with belief, he also obeyed God. Genesis 12, 4 says, so Abram thought about it, right? So Abram questioned God. So Abram hid from God. He ran from God. That's, you know, Jonah, there have been people who did all those things, but not Abram. He went. He went as the Lord had told him. This is the same kind of response we saw from Noah when God told him to build an ark. Noah had never seen a flood. He'd never seen all this rain. <clears throat> what should I do? I don't even know what a flood is. You're telling me to build this ark. But the Bible says he didn't question it. He just did it. That's why we said in that message two weeks ago that Noah's salvation through the ark was through, by grace, through faith. God's grace to notice him and say, you're a righteous man by faith when Noah did in response to what God told him to do. And that's what faith is. 
faith and obedience work together. And this is the pattern we're starting to see. We believe and we obey. It's one thing to just say, oh, I believe that, but I'm not going to do it. You know, if you believe a seatbelt will save your life, what should you do? Put it on. If you believe that your kid, uh, uh, you know, is not ready for potty training and there's this thing called a diaper, what should you do? Put it on. And that's, that's faith. That's faith. And then there's faith when you take it off. Right, mommies? Big faith. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, a lot of Abraham's story is popular, but I think the most popular is the, what happened in chapter 22. We learn in Sunday school, <clears throat> you remember this, after these things, you know, a lot of other things happened in Abraham's life, but after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, this was a huge test, wasn't it? Abraham was believing that God was going to give him uh, a son, and he did, and he was believing that he was going to give him a son so that he could be the father of many nations. And so now God is saying, I, I need you to take your son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And, and Abraham's got to be going, his mind going crazy. What in the world? Isaac has to live, and he has to get married, and he has to have children in order for me to have uh, the nations that, that God has promised to me. I want you to notice a couple things. You know, we know Abraham did that. <clears throat> notice here that Abraham didn't even question God. He didn't question him. He didn't say, say what? What are you talking about? This is the only son. This is the son of promise that you gave me. What do you mean offer him as a burnt offering? He didn't do that. And this is interesting because if you remember in, back in Genesis 18, when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, <clears throat> you remember that Abraham said, wait a minute, God, don't do that. What if I can find 50 righteous people there? God said, okay, if you can find 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And you know how Abraham negotiated with God, 50 all the way down to 10 and he's trying to save the people of Sodom. He's trying to keep God from incurring wrath on these people. But when it came to his own son, he didn't even try to negotiate. He didn't say anything. He just said, okay. In John chapter 8, verse 56, we get some insight into this. <clears throat> Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What does this mean? You remember the earlier when we said that God preached the gospel to Abraham? Somewhere in the visitation of God to Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want to show you something. I'm not going to show this to anybody else, but I'm going to show this to you. I want you to look down the centuries, and I want you to see another descendant in your line. It's the offspring that I told Eve would crush the head of Satan, and that offspring is coming from you, and it's, it's thousands of years later, and I want you to, I want you to see that, and, and that descendant of yours is also going to be my son, and through him, I'm going to save the world. This is the knowledge 
that Abraham had. And so when God says, take your son, this is ringing in his mind that this is what's going to happen. This is how the world is going to be saved. Notice another thing. Abraham believed that God would provide the sacrifice. As they're walking up the mountain, Abraham's carrying the knife and a torch. Isaac is carrying the wood, and Isaac turns to his father and says, Behold, Dad, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so when they get up on the mountain, uh, you know, and don't, don't think this is uh, a, a 12-year-old boy or a 9-year-old boy here. Isaac, most scholars believe he's probably in his 20s, maybe 25 or 30. He's strong enough to overthrow his father, but he doesn't. And so Abraham builds the altar. He puts the wood around it, and then he lays the, his son down on it and ties him up. And he's, he's getting ready to kill him when the angel intervenes. And so don't, don't think that Isaac couldn't have overpowered his father and got out of this situation. What we have here is a, a, a son or a, rather a father willing to do everything God told him to do, and a son willing to be obedient to the father. If you can't see the foreshadowing of Calvary in this, then you need to open your eyes. And why the Jewish people today can't see this as a foreshadowing of what God did in the first century with Jesus Christ on the cross is baffling to me. Of course, Abraham passed the test. God saw his willingness and Abraham called the name, the Bible says, of that place, the Lord will provide. And that's where we get the phrase Jehovah Jireh. I know there's a song out called Jireh. It means provision. The Lord, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. So when we trust and obey, we receive the blessing. But there's one more thing as I close. I want you to see that Abraham received the blessing to be a blessing. Receive the blessing to be a blessing. Your family is blessed because of Abraham. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3 that we receive every spiritual blessing through Christ, who was a son of Abraham. And through Christ, you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham. We're blessed when we believe, we're blessed when we obey, and we're blessed to be a blessing. So I want to ask you something. Uh, who are you blessing this week? Who are you blessing with your blessing? You know, there's a, a strange time we're living in when uh, the inflation is running out of control and uh, our reserves are maybe running low. For some of, for some of us, maybe the, uh, you know, the expense and the income line are, are wavering. And, and every time that happens, there's a, there's a temptation to, to start grabbing hold of what's ours and putting it away, hoarding it because we got to get ready for leaner times. But I want to tell you something. Uh, God has always provided for his people in leaner times. He's always provided. Now is not the time to stop sharing. It's not the time to stop giving. It's not the time to stop helping, to stop serving. Now is the time, as I read recently, in light of Roe v. Wade being overturned, praise the Lord. Now is the time to get out there and, 
and start becoming more available to, to young families, to young women who may not want their child. Now is the time because we're blessed to be a blessing. We do live in the greatest nation in the world. We still live in the greatest nation in the world, and it's the greatest nation because it was started with Christian principles. We celebrate our patriotism this weekend, but the greatest thing our country has done for us is allowed us to have our faith in God and in Christ. And uh, that's what we need to continue to celebrate. That's the blessing. The Bible says, in all authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so today we leave Genesis. We leave on an up note. We leave on some purpose. We leave with some mission. We leave with the blessing, understanding the blessing and the fact that we're to share the blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. That's what Abraham was. And, and because he believed and obeyed, you and I are blessed. Maybe you can share a blessing today. Maybe you need to believe today. Maybe you need to obey. Perhaps today you, you, you might give your life to Christ and be baptized into Christ and start your journey with him so you can bless others through your life. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing our final song. Almighty God, we thank you today for your goodness and grace. We're so grateful for Abraham's obedience. And we too, Lord, want to be like him. We want to believe you and what you say. We want to obey you when you tell us what we need to do. I pray, God, that you would give us that courage. And once that's done, Lord, I pray that we would be a blessing to those around us. And Lord, as we close out this book of Genesis, we are so inspired to live this kind of a life. Even in this country, we, we pray, Lord, we could live it, especially in this country, for you as a shining light to the nations. Lord, hear our prayer today and bring your people, bring the ones who need to come to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come and